Hello everyone and welcome back to World Cup Rambling. Make sure you keep listening to the podcast. Tell your friends if you've got any. Post reviews on iTunes, like, share and reply to the tweets. You can find me at Matthew Ocott and the other account is at World Cup Ramble. I'm going to do something different for this month. It's the height of summer and I'm not really in the mood to do something detailed. So I think this is a good time to do a World Cup rambling book review. I'm going to pick up a fictional book about the World Cup, guide you through it and then give you my thumbs up or thumbs down because my opinions are that important. And as I said in part three of the Mexico 86 retrospective, my opinions are actually facts. do 30 Days Across America by Christopher Dwyer. This book was published in 2014 and Dwyer is described as having a fanatical love for the United States men's and women's national soccer teams. The cover of the book is designed to look like the iconic Team USA home shirt from that World Cup as worn by legends such as Kobe Jones, Eric Winalda and Paul Caligiuri. If you listen back to that earlier episode, my World Cup runneth over, when I was reminiscing about World Cups I'd seen, I put 1994 up there at the top of my list, as it was the first World Cup I watched after I became a fan of the World Cup. That's why I was really keen to read this book. I'll start by reading out the blurb. After losing his parents in a tragic accident, 22-year-old David Shalley takes his high school friend Julio Cruz on a trip to see the world because for one wonderful month in the summer of 1994 the entire world came to the United States to celebrate the love of the world's game, soccer and these two Jersey boys came along for the ride. On their journey David and Julio experienced elation, loss, hilarity and heartbreak getting through it all with a heady mix of naive bravado, glibness and alcohol. They also develop a deep love for and understanding of planet Earth's favourite sport. I like the bit about a heady mix of naive bravado, glibness and alcohol because that's how me, Rob, Soupy and Benwell got through our World Cup voyage to South Africa in 2010. David's parents have the American dream background if you could call it that. His dad started out at a community college and worked his way up to eventually heading up his own law firm. And his mum was a payroll clerk before becoming the HR director for Johnson & Johnson. When David's folks die, he inherits a shitload of money. David takes the dosh and he goes out on the lash, you know, prodigal son style, which is what all young men would do if they suddenly came into a load of money. His mate Julio gets on his case try to get him to do something worthwhile with all the cash. David's looking through like the newspaper one day and he comes to the sports pages and he says they should go to the World Cup. He'll pay for everything, it's his treat. 
there's some good insight here. David is a sports fan and he's up for going to the big events. There was always that worry about how Americans wouldn't turn up, but that turned out to be nonsense. A lot of them, like David, love big sporting events and they went in massive numbers to see the games. USA 94 broke attendance records. Julio doesn't know anything about the World Cup and David is confused because he thought all Spanish-speaking people were into their soccer. Julio is Cuban and he says that if you take a soccer ball to Cuba, someone will try and hit it with a baseball bat. So that's a nice bit of the cultural differences in inverted commas Latin America. Julio gets on board because of the promise of hot foreign chicks. And that's a direct quote, by the way, just before anyone starts going to the fainting couch. That's something I can empathise with when it comes to international tournaments. Speaking as a veteran of Euro 2008, World Cup 2010 and Euro 2016. I can also empathise with the bit where David starts doing his World Cup research, examining the match schedule, checking out the previews, looking at the form, reading all the magazines and studying the venues. And it just takes me back to the old days of the wall chart and the Panini sticker album. David and Julio have an argument about which games they're going to see. David wants to drive around and see every game possible and Julio can't square that up with the mad amount of driving they'll have to do just to get around the whole of the USA. There are some moments of um, almost sort of dark humour. David saying he wants to go and see USA Columbia because Columbia are one of the favourites and we all know that sorry tragic tale of Columbia at USA 94. I might actually make a note of that one for a future podcast. Julio takes the pragmatic view that it doesn't matter which games they see so long as they're there. David disagrees, saying that they have to see the biggest teams and the biggest names. David then takes Julio to the library to read soccer books and to see old videos of previous World Cups, including Argentina against England from 1986. When Julio says you can't score with your hands after Maradona puts in the first goal, David replies that if the referee didn't see it, you didn't do it, which is a neat summary of the Argentine view of that particular incident, although VAR has made that comment a bit redundant. When the lads set off on the trip, they're driving around listening to Rick Astley, Never Gotta Give You Up, and indulging in a bit of what a wise man once described as locker room talk. When they're on the road, you get the sense of the scope of America, It's a home World Cup for these guys, but they're having to travel thousands of miles to get to it. They're crossing state lines, and the descriptions are almost like they're moving from one country to another. When David and Julio get to Chicago, they go on the lash with the German fans, who have arrived for Germany's games against Bolivia and Spain. And that reminds me of being in Paris for Northern Ireland against Germany in Euro 2016, and we had some joshing and banter with the German fans. The lads go to the Germany-Bolivia game and we get the reference to Diana Ross missing the penalty. When they go on to Detroit to watch USA against Switzerland, David is desperate for a USA win because their credibility as the host nation is on the line. There was that worry, especially after how poorly USA did at World Cup 90, that they were going to embarrass themselves as the host nation in 1994. 
When you read the passage about the USA Switzerland game, all those names take you back to that Saturday afternoon. Miola, Winalda, Lalas, Balboa for the USA, and then guys like Shapisat, Suter, Seforza for the Swiss. The game ends 1-1, and Julio, who was sceptical about the World Cup and about Team USA, is suddenly on board. David and Julio then go to Washington DC for the Norway-Mexico match. And when they get into Washington, they meet up with these girls from Norway, which I thought was interesting because I met a Norwegian girl when we were in Cape Town for World Cup 2010. David gets it on with one of them, a girl called Greta. She showed me her room isn't a good Norwegian wood, all that kind of stuff. They have nothing in common apart from their consumption of vast quantities of alcohol, the story of all great relationships. So that takes care of the romance. The lads and their bevy of Norwegian beauties head to a gig and you get references and text to the beat, madness, the mighty, mighty Boston's and that makes me very happy to read those names. By this stage, Dave and Greta seem to be falling in love. Later on, they go on a long drive to Chicago for Germany against Spain and they're half asleep through the match but there are great bits about how good Klinsman was. Germany went home relatively early doors by their massive standards in 1994 and this became the World Cup of Baggio, Romario and Stoichkov. But don't forget how good Klinsmann was in 1994. This was his peak as an international striker. After that, the boys take an internal flight to LA, which reminds me of when we were flying from Cape Town to Port Elizabeth and then back again. The bit when they're watching USA against Colombia is brilliant, with the Colombians being put on this massive pre-tournament pedestal, and the lads can't believe that they're actually seeing the USA beat them. It's the moment in the book's narrative when the enormity of the World Cup really hits home. From there they go to LA for USA-Romania, and the atmosphere becomes tense and strained. Greta's partying and drinking starts to get out of control, and... Here's the first sign that things aren't going to end well. The adventure takes a rather dark turn, which contrasts with all the fun and games of the World Cup. Julio, meanwhile, he's had to hang out with Ilsa, who's one of the other Norwegian girls, although they managed to avoid any romantic entanglements. At this stage of the book, Julio comes across as the more sympathetic character. I know David is going through the tragedy of losing his mum and dad but he comes across as being a bit too leery for my liking. The trip then starts to go off the rails but you get great bits of the guys working out how they're going to get around the USA for the knockout games and the grim realisation that they might have to skip some of the games. You get great descriptions of American geography and it makes you really want to be there. While the World Cup will be stateside as well as Mexico and Canada in 2026 so that's something to keep in mind. The atmosphere between David and Julio gets more stressful. Two mates getting on each other's nerves after being in each other's company for weeks on end. Something that can happen when you go away on these trips. The author seems to be setting up a rich white kid, poor immigrant kid dynamic between them. And Julio thinks that David is throwing his money around too much. Especially when David decides to hire a private plane to get them to San Francisco on Independence Day for the Brazil-USA match. You know, if you're going to San Francisco, be sure to wear some flowers in your hair, etc, etc. When you read the chapter on the Brazil-USA match, it's an obvious love letter from the author to the USA team. 
are all those names you remember if you were old enough to watch USA 94. After that match, there's a bizarre twist when the guys go on a night out with the stewardess from the private plane. I'm not going to describe what happens because this is a family podcast, so I'll allow you to read that bit for yourself. There's also a great bit towards the end when the lads are getting bored because the climactic games at the World Cup are spread out, so there are full days without any games and they have nothing to do except drink beer for breakfast. My favourite chapter is chapter 18 which covers the Italy-Bulgaria semi-final because there's some lovely vivid descriptions of the brilliance of Roberto Baggio. The descriptions of the games are actually good if you can overlook some of the unusual Americanisms. And then after that semi-final, it's a race against bureaucracy to see if they can get tickets for the final. I really enjoyed the book. I loved USA 94, so it was great to read a novel based around this tournament and it jogged memories of some of the matches I watched that summer. I enjoyed the descriptions of American geography and you get an insight on how vast the country is and how in getting around it as an American, it was almost an overseas World Cup, especially if you're like David and Julio who were from New Jersey and they were trying to get to Chicago, Dallas, San Francisco and LA. Another reason I liked the book was that it reminded me of my trip to South Africa in 2010, you know, renting cars, internal flights, working out routes, silly arguments, drinking too much, trying to find the best nightlife, mingling with fans from other countries, and of course, trying to find women. So if you're a football fan and you like the World Cup, I'd recommend this book. It's very readable, like I got through it in a couple of days. Then again, that's easy to do if you're in an inverted commas transitional employment situation, which is what I'm in at the time of recording. There you go, 30 Days Across America, a nice fun book. I'll keep my eyes out for more World Cup fiction and every so often I'll do a review. Follow me on Twitter at Matthew Ocott and also follow at World Cup Ramble. Make sure you're subscribed and tell your friends and get them subscribed as well. I'll be back next month with another edition of World Cup Rambling, the World Cup podcast you never knew you didn't need.